The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Um, thank you for this opportunity to be here and share God's word with you this morning. Even though I'm from out of town, we're still going to continue our series in the Ten Commandments. And this morning we come to the Fifth Commandment, Honor Your Father and Mother. So our text this morning is found in Exodus 20, and it should be on the screen behind me as well. Like all of the commandments, this passage is famous, it's well known, but unfortunately this morning's text is also often misused and misunderstood. And really it's easy to be confused because we all have somewhat of a different understanding of what it means to honor our parents. Take a few different examples. I know a couple, and they felt called to adopt from overseas. But their parents were opposed to this adoption because of some social pressure that they would have felt by having grandchildren who were of a different ethnicity. So the, parent, so the grandparents said, if you go through this adoption, when we're opposed, you won't be honoring your father and mother. And so then they didn't. Was this right? Or, I know there are parents out there who are stuck in this position where grandma and grandpa abuse the, children, abuse the grandchildren or there's a lot of hurt in their relationship. But then grandma and grandpa say, well, we're your, we're your parents and we're the grandparents and we want to see our grandchildren. And so the parents are stuck in the middle, and they feel they need to protect their children, but then they feel guilty because they're not obeying the Bible. They're not honoring their father and mother. What should they do? Or a lighter example is uh, when children discuss whether they should dress up to go to church or not. That's something that happened when I was growing up. And many parents say, well... I told you to dress up, and the Bible says honor your father and mother, so you need to dress up. And they use this commandment as kind of a end-all for the discussion. Well, is that a legitimate use of this commandment? This morning's text is going to address all of these issues and more, and it's going to show us what the Bible has in mind for a relationship between parents and their children. So let's read from the Word of God. I'll begin in Exodus 20, verse 1, and continue, excuse me, Exodus 20, verse 1, and continue to verse 12. And God spoke all of these things, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing my steadfast love to thousands of those who love me 
and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made heavens and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning seeking to know you, seeking to know your calling on our life, and seeking to know how we might love our neighbor better. I know that we all have different family relationships, and we have healthy, unhealthy, happy, and painful memories of our parents. And I pray that you would use this text to speak to each of us as you need it to, because this is such an important part of our life, the relationship between parents and children. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning's verse is quite short, just verse 12. But even though it's short, it's powerful. Because we're all someone's children, and therefore it has immediate application for all of us. To help us understand the biblical relationship between parents and children, I want to approach the text with three basic questions. So first, why should we honor our father and mother? Next, what does it mean to honor our father and mother? And finally, how do we honor our father and mother? So, why do we do it? What does it mean? And how do we do it? First, why should we honor our parents? Everyone knows that the easiest answer to the question, why, is because I said so. Any parent who has ever said, clean your room, eat your peas, or come over here, has likely heard the response, but why? And perhaps equally as often is the response, because I said so. And there is a bit of that here. God made us. He has authority over us. And we need to honor our parents because he commanded it. But that's not the end of it. Beyond the fact that God says so, we honor our father and mother for two basic reasons. The first is for the good of our community, and the second is because of the high calling that God gave parents. So the good of our community and the high calling of parents. So first, let's look at the good of our community. In the Ten Commandments, Moses is establishing the framework for God's chosen people and how they're supposed to live. And the place of this commandment as the fifth commandment shows us that honoring our father and mother is essential to having a thriving, healthy community. All the commandments that come before this are about how people relate to God. They're about our vertical relationship. So, do not take the Lord's name in vain. 
make no idols, honor the Sabbath, are all about our vertical relationship. And all of those depend on the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before the true God. But then the focus switches. And all of the rest of the commandments are about our relationships with other people. But the first commandment, before talking about any of our external relationships, says, honor your father and mother. And so in some way, the rest of the commandments depend on this one. This becomes even clearer when we look at the second half of the commandment. It starts, honor your father and mother, but then it has a promise at the end. And it says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This doesn't mean if you obey your parents, you're going to have an easier life. Or if you honor your parents, God's going to give you lots of blessings. We want it to mean that. but We have to read the text carefully. When you look at it, it doesn't say, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving each of you. It is not a promise to the individual. It's a promise to the community. The whole community is going into the land. And so we see if children honor their parents, it begins to create the necessary conditions for God's chosen people to thrive. Children should honor their parents for the practical benefit of having a healthy community. But if that seems like a stretch or it isn't persuasive, that's really only because we don't understand the high calling that God has given parents in a community. One of the best places to see God's calling for parents in a community is to look at Ephesians chapter 6, and especially verse 4. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul unpacks the fifth commandment for us. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 reads, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And then verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we're going to focus on verse 4. And there's a few different ways to kind of break up the verse. But I want to look at it like this, with three parts. So first it has an address, fathers. And then it has a warning, do not provoke your children to anger. And then it has a command, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So verse 4 is basically saying, children need two things. They need to be shown, shown how to live, that's discipline, and they need to be taught why they need to live this way, and that's instruction. But if parents don't do both of these things, the children are going to grow up and be bitter or resentful. That's provoked to anger. And we see this happen. You see when children grow up and they either intellectually, emotionally, or physically leave their community of faith or leave their family. It's provoked to anger. 
But what this text is telling us about the role of parents is that it's the job of parents to use discipline and instruction to pass on the beliefs and the convictions of their community. But if enough parents fail to do that and the children leave, then eventually the community is going to die away. And that's the high calling that parents are given. And as a parent, I feel the burden of that responsibility to know that the community of faith is being passed through me to the next generation. I mean, my three-year-old daughter, one day is going to grow up, and she's probably going to be a mom. And the things that I pass on to her are the things that she can then pass on to her children. And so I have to ask myself, am I giving her the discipline and instruction that she needs? Am I teaching her to use her passion and emotions to serve other people or to to manipulate them? Am I showing her how to be radically generous with her money or am I showing her how to hoard money so she can be safe and comfortable? But then when I start to feel kind of paralyzed because of that responsibility, I look back to verse 4 to look at the address. There's probably lots of reasons why Paul addresses this verse to fathers. But don't get distracted that it says fathers and not fathers and mothers. Because one of the reasons is just that's the way that letters were addressed to households in ancient times. It's just like how today, sometimes you might get a letter that says, to Mr. and Mrs. Dan Jackson. Well, you know it's for both of you. So that's kind of, that's one part of what's going on here. And by addressing this command, this charge to parents, it's saying that parents, you can do it as long as you accept your role as parents. The calling that God is giving isn't for teachers or coaches or nannies or youth leaders. It's for us. We don't outsource it so that we can do something more fulfilling or more important. God's saying this is the most important role in a community. And God knows that that is ridiculously difficult. That's why no matter how good or bad your parents were, you have to honor them. Simply by holding the office of parent, they have earned that honor. It's just like how we call someone Mr. President. Even after they leave the office, they've earned it. And as the president is supposed to lead the country, the parent is supposed to lead the family. But even if we know why we should honor our parents, that's really not enough. If we want to do it on the Bible's terms, we have to know exactly what it means to honor our parents. And so this brings us to the next point. What does it mean to honor our parents? The key word in this text is honor. But unfortunately, honor is not a word that we often use in common English. The word honor 
comes from the Hebrew word kavad, which literally means to be weighty or heavy. The closest we have in English is respect. But, as we talked about before, it doesn't mean you respect someone because they they did something really great or because they have great character. It's the kind of respect you give to someone simply because of their status or their position. That may be a bit hard to grasp, so I think it'd be helpful if we could identify some things that honor does not mean. So there's two things that honor does not mean. First, and this may be surprising, honor does not mean obey. Honor does not mean obey. In Ephesians 6, we just read, the beginning of the verse says, children, obey your parents. And right there in Ephesians 6, that word children literally means non-adults. So non-adults need to obey your parents. But nowhere in the Bible does it command adult children to obey their parents. The reason for this is that the Bible gives parents authority over young children, but it's biblical authority. And biblical authority is servant authority. The role of parents is to help their children grow into independence and freedom. It's a picture of how Christ died for us so that we could grow up into freedom. But what's more, this has really practical implications for how we relate to adult parents. See, when an adult parent demands of their adult children that you need to live in a different part of the city or you need to be closer to home, they're overreaching the authority that God gave them. Or when parents manipulate their children into visiting more. That's not in line with what the Bible says. Or if you have parents of adult children who belittle, demean, ignore, or discipline their adult children, they're in sin and they need to be corrected because honor does not mean obey. But what's more is honor doesn't even mean like. Like is a feeling. And there's no way to command someone to like something. There's no way to command someone to have a certain kind of feeling. If you hate peas, I can command you to eat them, but I cannot command you to enjoy it. It's just the way it goes. And so I know that there are people here who had really hard and really terrible childhood experiences. And the Bible is saying you don't have to think that your parents were great if they weren't. You don't have to feel guilty because you aren't excited when they call. Honor your father and mother does not mean pretend your parents are something they're not. But that doesn't let us get away from the fact that we still do need to honor them. We have to show them respect. And sometimes that's going to be really hard. So this brings us to the last point. How do we do it? How do we honor our father and mother? And here I hope to be really practical. So I'm going to give you four ways that you can honor your father and mother. 
The first, well, I should say this first. Because all of us have different kinds of relationships with our parents, some of us are really close, some of us are really distant. And there's all kinds of dynamics happening in each family. Some of these examples are going to be harder for some of us, and others are going to be more difficult for others of us. So I just want to say that out front. So the first way to honor your parents is just listen to them. Your parents may have valuable things to say. They might be able to speak into your life. Or maybe not. But you can still listen to them. You can hear them out. And even if you disagree about what they have to say, and even if they don't know how to communicate tactfully or lovingly or wisely, you just create a space and you let them share. You don't criticize. You don't interrupt. You give them the space that they have earned as parents. So listen. But next, we can care for our parents. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And we really want this to mean our immediate household. But in all parts of the world, including when the New Testament was written, except for our modern Western culture, your household included your parents. You would have lived with them until they passed away, and then your kids would live with you and take care of you until you passed away. Does that mean that you need to invite your elderly parents to come into your house and live with you? I can't give you the answer to that. That's something you and Jesus need to figure out. But we do need to ask ourselves, how do I care for my parents? Not, what is the most convenient way to take care of my parents? Third, we can pursue our parents. So we had listen, care for, and now pursue. As I said before, many of us have good parents, many of us do not, but none of us have parents who have it all together. No matter what your parents are like, they still need the love of Jesus from you. And that's not going to magically happen if you think nice thoughts about them. You've got to call them. You've got to write them. You've got to invite them over. You have to visit them. You have to put yourself in their life. But I know that sometimes this can be really hard. And one of the most powerful and insightful ways I've seen this done was a story about a young woman whose father left when she was a child. And she grows up, and she decides she's going to find her father and reconnect and build a relationship. When she finds him, he's bitter, angry, and doesn't have anything very kind to say to her. And so she tries to call him, but every time she calls him, he belittles her, he criticizes her, he puts her down, and their conversations just end with her in tears and him more angry than before. So after some prayer and some counsel, she says, okay, calls her dad. Dad, every Sunday night at 8 o'clock, I'm going to call you because I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. But the minute that you start criticizing me 
or talking down to me, I'm just going to hang up the phone, and that'll be it. Until next week. Well, you can imagine how happy that made him. So there he goes, starts going, and she hangs up the phone. And he calls back, and she doesn't pick it up. But next week, at 8 o'clock, she calls him back. Same thing. Click. And then the next week. And then the next week. And month after month, every week at 8 o'clock on Sunday, she called him. And you know what? After years of her pursuing him, their conversations got longer. Their relationship got healthier. And they're probably never going to be close like some of, we are close with some of our parents. But she pursued him and showed him the love of Jesus. And their relationship is growing. So this last one is pursue. But then finally, in addition to listen, care for, and pursue our parents, we can forgive our parents. And this may be the most important one. Because forgiveness lets us admit to ourselves where our parents fell short. See, on the one hand, it keeps us from pretending that our parents were perfect and never did anything wrong. But on the other hand, it stops us from looking down our nose at our parents and holding on to bitterness and frustration at all the things that they messed up on. We might look back at the first examples, you know, care for, listen to, and I say, oh yeah, I could do that. You know, I could, I could call my mom more often. Yeah. Or, you know, I might even be able to listen to my dad. You know, spend some time, hear what he has to say. But you will never be able to forgive your parents on your own willpower. Never going to happen. See, what's going to happen is we'll either idolize our parents so much that we'll never be able to admit that they did anything wrong. Or we'll be too full of bitterness and frustration to ever let them back into our lives. And the reason we do these things, we idolize our parents or hold on to bitterness and frustration, is basically because we're trying to get something from our parents that they can't give us. We're trying to get perfect love and perfect acceptance from them. And no parent can give that. We are trying to get something from our parents that we can only get from God. And when we do that, that's called idolatry. See, we have to go somewhere else other than our parents to get our ultimate identity, our ultimate value, and our ultimate acceptance. Jesus talks about this in one of his most famous parables. It's the story of the prodigal son. And so the story of the prodigal son basically goes like this. And this young man, and he's frustrated that he has to be under his father's thumb, so to speak. So one day he goes to his dad and he says, Dad, I hate you. And I hate that you tell me what to do and I cannot live my life the way that I want it. I want the money that you owe me, my inheritance, and I'm out of here. So his dad gives him the money and he checks out. And he moves away and he does all the things that he had always wanted to do. And he's free from his father's influence. Free from his father's control. Free. Until his money starts to run out. And before he knows it, he's alone and starving to death because he has no money and no way to get it. And he takes this job doing the most disgusting, degrading thing 
that's available because it's the only way he can get a bite to eat. So he's working in this job and things are looking bad. And he remembers back to his dad who owns a farm and he says, man, if I can go back and I could work on my dad's farm, you know, I'd get minimum wage, sleep in the barn, at least my life would be better than it is now. But I don't know if my dad's going to take me back. But then the story continues like this. It says, so he got up and he went to his father. So he's walking back. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am not worthy to be called your son. But the father basically dismissed it and said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And so they began to celebrate. This story is often called the parable of the prodigal son. But the story isn't actually about the son. It's about the father. My wife told this story to a woman in Taiwan who'd never heard it before. She's familiar with Western culture, knows that a lot of people in the West are Christians, but didn't really have any direct exposure to the Bible. So when she finishes telling this story, my wife finishes telling this story, the woman turns to her and says, the idea that someone, especially a God, could love me that much, it's simply unbelievable. It's amazing. I wish it were true. In her unbelief, she knew that this story isn't just about any father. It's about our heavenly father. And it's about a love that is truly inhuman. And we get it because Jesus broke into the world and was born as a man. Our parents can't be the place that we get our value, our worth, our love, our acceptance. Not in the ultimate sense. We can only get those things from God. From our Heavenly Father. And we have access to those things because of the work of Jesus. We are the children who ran away. And even when we try to honor our father and mother out of sheer willpower... We say, this is the right thing to do, and I'm going to do it. We're just doing it on our own terms. We're doing it without God's interference, without God's manipulation, without God's hands in our lives. We want to honor our parents without his interference and control. But we can only forgive our parents. And then we can only honor our parents when we first return back to our Heavenly Father. And receive perfect acceptance from him. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And the reason that happened is because on the cross, Jesus experienced ultimate estrangement, abandonment, and rejection 
from the perfect God of the universe, his heavenly father. And he did that so that we could stand in his place and get that love and acceptance and value that all rightly belong to him. You see, it's through Jesus' loss that we have everything we could never get from our parents. And when we let that sink down and wash over all the illusions and all the hurt that we hold about our parents, we can finally begin to honor them because we've forgiven them. And when that happens, the building blocks of the community of God are set in place. And life, as God's people, begins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is because of your ultimate love and acceptance that we turn to you. Jesus, thank you that you took the abandonment and the rejection that was designed for us and that we can stand in your place. Thank you that you have made us a new people with a new way to relate to one another, with a new way to do life together. And we ask that you would give us the power to honor our father and mother for their sake, for the love of our neighbor, and because we love you. Help us to experience your gracious love and your gracious acceptance so that we might be changed and become more like the people that you set out to build when you gave Moses the Ten Commandments. In your heavenly name we ask. Amen.